man, I uh, saw that earlier in the week and just was reminded that's what we, why we do what we do. Uh, there's how many more students are like that that are just wandering without hope. And we have the greatest message to ever be told, and uh, it's a church like this that reaches those students every single week and just want to say thank you for investing uh, into the next generation. Like Luke said, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's my honor to be able to conclude this series, The Mind of Christ. Uh, my family growing up, and to this day, has a lot of like inside jokes. Any, any families, you got a lot of inside jokes. There will be phrases and sentences said that mean nothing to anybody else but my family, and we'll all laugh about it. And so one of those uh, inside jokes, I want to bring you into the inside scoop on this morning. So this is kind of a big deal, because you're about to kind of be grafted into the Coggins family. And my hope is that this inside joke is something that you can now tell your children someday. Uh, The line that is said in my family that makes us laugh, and it's going to mean nothing to you at first, but the line is, at least the bills are crisp. It means nothing, but I'm about to tell you the origin story of that. It's a line that is said a lot in my family, especially between me and my brother. We say it all the time. And it only means something to us, but I want to take you back to 1993. Now, for some of you, I mean, this is just a little bit after World War II, long time ago, (laughs) long time ago. And my brother was 13 at the time, and he and his, the school he attended was going to Valley Fair, which is a big amusement park. They have a water park uh, part of it as well. At 13 years old, his, his best friend Drew is with him that day, and they're just pumped. You know, they got a little bag packed. Uh, you know, they're, they're ready to go. And Drew's mom had given him that, that morning, I mean, because admission was already taken care of, so he, she gave him a $20 bill to pay for. Uh, now, I'm telling you, today that might not get you a bag of chips, but in 1993, you could get lunch, dinner, ice cream, a slushie, buy pizza for everybody and still have $15 left over. I mean, it, like $20 was a big deal. That was going to get you really, really far. And so Drew's feeling pretty good about this. Like, I got 20 bucks. I had, you know, this is a big bill right here. And so they go into the park and Drew is thinking, you know what? I'm going to splurge today. We're getting a locker. Which, by the way, I, that, that has never entered my mind walking in. I like, well, get a locker. What are you, 80? Like, what, why do you need? <laughs> but he's like, I'm going to get a locker today. And so he goes up, he puts his stuff in, gets the key, does the whole thing. And then you go pay at the end. And he goes to pay. He slaps that $20 bill down like, have they ever seen such a bill? <laughs> and the lady takes the $20 and in exchange for the 20 hands him two $1 bills back. And he says, well, where's the rest of it? She's like, it's $18 to rent a locker. And I I can't imagine what's going through his head in the moment, just devastation. Like, I just spent all of my money on a locker. I had no idea it was going to cost that much. And he leans over to my brother, and he says this line, at least the bills are crisp. My brother could not help himself. He broke down into laughter at Drew's expense, thinking, you just spent all your money on a locker, and you're trying to find the silver lining in that moment. 
And the silver lining is, what 13-year-old, at least the dollar bills are crisp $1 bills. He must have been thinking, I'm about to have a Twix and a Pepsi for my entire time here at the vending machine. At least I'm not going to have to waste time at the vending machine because the dollar bill is going to go in the first <laughs> time. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't know, but... In my family now, we say that line all the time whenever we're talking about like unre- uh, unreasonable optimism. Well, at least the bills are crisp. You know, like, <laughs> at, at least we got that going for us. Uh, but optimism, have you ever been around somebody that's just like always finds the silver lining? They're just very positive. They're, uh, they're just always optimistic no matter. It's a little frustrating at sometimes. Like really, that's the silver lining uh, that you found in that. But... I say all that to say that optimism is not just an attractive quality, it's also something that uh, the Bible lays out that we are to have as Christ followers. And maybe I'll take it a step further, not just optimism, but we have been called as Christ followers that in any circumstance, we've been called to give thanks to God. Easier said than done. This is a message that is way easier to preach than to live. Uh, The Apostle Paul, I I believe, really lays out, uh, because his life was full of these moments, where he just, he gives us the silver lining, he gives us the optimism, he says, still we serve a God who can be praised in any circumstance. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 18, this is kind of the key verse for the, the whole day, it's a very simple verse, but he says this, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul figured out how to live a life that gives thanks in all circumstances. And God is calling us as Christ followers to that perspective. It's not just for Paul. He says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, for every Christ follower, is to give thanks in all circumstances. Now again, I know this is much easier to preach than live, because there's many, many times that we are just going through very difficult circumstances, and it seems how am I going to give thanks in the midst of this? You know, maybe it's uh, you, you just lost your job. Maybe it's uh, your, your child is going down the wrong path or is completely away from God and you spend night after night just worried all the time. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe it's a bad medical diagnosis. Maybe it's even a, a loss of a loved one. And it's really, really difficult to see how can I give God thanks in the circumstance. And Paul is telling us, regardless of circumstance, we have reason to give thanks. And all throughout Paul's writings, I don't, I wanna, we're going to skip around a little bit because all throughout Paul's writings, you see this, 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 this man who lays out a bit of a, a, a pattern, a blueprint on how we can give thanks in all circumstances. If you're taking notes, the first thing, is that Paul learned to thank God for what didn't happen. Thank God for what didn't happen. Sometimes in those moments where it seems like we're in despair, it's simply saying, God, thank you for sparing me from this. Thank you that, uh, have you ever had one of those It could, could have been so much worse type moments? Uh, for me personally, I've had several of those while driving in my car. You ever had one of those moments where you kind of avoid catastrophe and afterwards the adrenaline is pumping and you're just like, wow, 
that could have been a whole lot worse. My wife and I, we, we weren't even dating at the time. We were just going to college, and we were driving home uh, for Christmas break, and the weather was fine. Uh, we were going, you know, 70 miles per hour in a 1996 Chevy Corsica with 267,000 miles on it with hail damage that we didn't turn in the insurance check for to fix, and so we had chips, paint chips and rust just giving you a picture of the death trap we were driving in. So we're going down the freeway, and we just out of nowhere hit black ice, and we just start spinning, going 70 miles per hour down the freeway many times, and we spun between uh, the car in front of us and a semi that was right behind us. We spun between them, hit the shoulder, kept driving for a little while, didn't flip, didn't didn't hit anything, and at the end of it, we were just like, how in the world did we make it through that? You ever have, you've, you, you, can, you can sympathize with that. I'm sure all of us have had those kind of moments before. And in the midst of those types of moments, Paul always had a way to say, God, thank you for sparing me, because it could have been so much worse. Now, let me just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, just to get a picture of the types of affliction Paul had going on in his life. It says this, three times I was beaten with rods. Okay, we could probably stop right there and say he's got most of us, uh, you know, he's had a lot more persecution than us. He says, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a day, a night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul had a lot of things that were, that were going on in his life. He had a lot of persecution. But he still maintained this attitude of, Thank God for sparing me because it could have been so much worse. We read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, a very famous passage. He says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul says often to God, Thank you for sparing me because it could be so much Worse. Thank you that we are not crushed. Thank you that we are not in despair. Thank you that we are not abandoned. Thank you that we are not destroyed. That was one of the keys to Paul maintaining this attitude of giving thanks in any situation is that Paul learned to thank God for what didn't happen. Second thing is that Paul learned to reframe the narrative. Paul learned to reframe the narrative. Reframing is simply a process of reconceptualizing a problem by seeing it from a different perspective. Now I'm gonna show you a a few different pictures on the screen. The first picture is this kind of dark, ominous, almost like a day like today, kind of a little little cloudy, not the most optimistic looking picture in the world. The next picture is very much different than that. It's sunny, everything, you know, looks very hope-filled. But what if I told you those pictures are, are taken from the exact same picture. If you see the entire picture, you see, okay, there, there's where the one picture was. If you kind of frame it with you know, your fingers, there's where the other one was. So often, it's a matter of us stepping back and saying, let me look at the entire picture. 
rather than just focusing on one little corner of it. We, we're really good at just focusing on, let me just look at the ominous. Let me look at worst case scenario. Do you have any worst case scenario people in the room? Like, I, I live in the worst case scenario often. In fact, I think it annoys Pastor Aaron sometimes because he'll lay out an idea and I'll say, okay, let me just, let me just lay out worst case scenario. <laughs> And he's like, why do you always, I'm like, I just, if you can live with worst case scenario, then, then let's do it. But uh, that tends to be where I go to. But reframing the narrative is saying, no, 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 there's, there's multiple ways to look at the same thing. And Paul was very good at looking at every situation from a different perspective. In fact, in Philippians chapter one, starting verse 11, now minded. Uh, mind you, uh, Paul is in prison as he writes this. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's talking about being in prison, has served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most uh, of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul isn't just looking at the silver lining there. He's saying it's better. Like the gospel was advanced further because of my imprisonment. Paul sees it as a good thing because guess what? The entire prison now knows about my faith in Jesus. They know I'm legit. I'm willing to go to prison for it. And it's emboldened all these other Christ followers that have heard about it. He said the gospel is spread way faster because a a little bit of persecution, a little bit, you know, I'm in prison, but no big deal. God's gospel is expanded throughout the entire area because of it. Whatever circumstance you're going through, the question is what good can come out of it. Maybe it's a matter of looking at it from a completely different perspective. Any, any, anybody like to play golf in the room? I was gonna say any golfers in the room, but liking golf and being a golfer are two different things. You like to play golf. I like to play golf, but I, I often get very um, impatient when it comes to putting because it's like one after another, and it's kind of like, let's just, I want to get to the next hole. Let's, let's, and sometimes I'll, I'll be with a guy that will like really take his time on the putting green, and it's, I'm just trying to tell him like, let's, let's go. But I have learned, like when I go behind a putt, and if you're not a golfer, just bear with me for a second, but I'll, I'll, I'll kind of read the putt, try to see what, what it's going to do. If I go to the other side of the hole and look at the putt from the other side, almost every single time I will see something different from the other side. And I'll I'll, I'll approach it differently. I often don't take time to do that. I should take time to do that. But uh, that's what Paul does really well. He says, I'm going to take this from a different perspective. I'm going to look at it and see something totally different. How did Paul do this? In 2 Corinthians 4.17, we get uh, a lot of perspective into how Paul approached any circumstance, especially persecution, especially hardship. He says this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, again, this is the same guy who's been shipwrecked three times, Flogged, beaten, stoned, in prison, attempted murder, at sea for days, cold, naked, hungry. Uh, His affliction, he says, is light. He also says it's momentary. It's just, ah, it's no big deal. How does Paul say that? How can Paul really look at his, I mean, is he just like 
kidding himself? Like, was he just, is this like, he's trying to talk himself into, like, it's, it's going to be okay? Like, what? No, it, Paul says it right here. That our struggles are nothing in comparison to eternity. He compares his struggles to eternity. He compares the temporary to the eternal. And he says, when you fix your eyes on the eternal, the temporary is always less significant. The temporary can never compete with the eternal. And so he's, he's really saying the secret to, to, to your problems is not trying to solve your problems. It's, it's having something in your life that outweighs your problems. He says, fix your eyes on what is unseen because what is unseen is eternal. Let me give you some practical ways of looking at that. In your family, how often as a family do you discuss the things of God? Do you, in regular conversation, driving on the road, do you, uh, do you weave that in at all? Or is it just about the here and the now and the schedule and the things that we got to do? Or, or is it all about right now? Or are you ever looking at eternity? In your finances, do you give to things that have eternal significance? Or is it just about getting everything for the here and now? I mean, that if you just were to look through how you spend your money, you, you would get a good indication of if you look at the temporary or if you look at eternal. In your marriage, do you ever talk about your pursuit after God as a couple, or is it just kind of survival mode? Let's just get through today. Paul says, if you're going to get through this world, if you're going to get through this life without completely giving up, without losing hope, you are going to have to fix your eyes on what is unseen. You're going to have to fix your eyes on the eternal. Third thing, Paul learned to look for God's goodness. Paul learned to look for God's goodness. This is similar to reframing the narr narrative, but it's a little bit different. See, you're always going to find what you're looking for. If you even look at the, an example of a hummingbird versus a vulture, they're both looking for something. A hummingbird is looking for nectar, sweet, you know, and a vulture is looking for death and decay. And every, every single time, they're going to find it. You're going to find the goodness of God if you're looking for it. The question is, are you looking for the goodness of God? Or are you just focused on death, decay, destruction? Woe is me. Or are you looking for the goodness of God? There's a the famous passage of Scripture that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. It's where we get this phrase, a, a thorn in the flesh. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, that I am content with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul says that struggles are an opportunity for God's strength to be evident in your life. See, we are not strong, but we serve a God who is. Paul also writes in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, uh, that uh, we are, he compares us to jars of clay. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay 
to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. A jar of clay would be a, a, a discarded item. It'd be like a paper cup, a styrofoam cup today. It's not, there's nothing special about it. But he says what that cup holds, what that vessel holds is the power that raised Christ from the dead. What's inside the clay jar is the all-surpassing power of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Do you look at struggles and weaknesses as an opportunity to see the power, to see the goodness of God show up? in your life. There's a story uh, in the New Testament that um, to me is um, one of the most encouraging passages of scripture because we see the humanity of somebody who we revere as just a, a saint, you know, somebody who is just, uh, just John the Baptist. John the Baptist was somebody who uh, you know, preached the word of God before Jesus kind of prepared the way for him Jesus actually asks him to baptize him. It's a, you know, put that on your LinkedIn profile, like baptize Jesus, that's a good one. Uh, there's actually a verse that's, that Jesus himself says that John the Baptist is the greatest person to ever be born of a woman. Like he had a, a, a he thought very highly of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a lot like Paul. He was kind of like, a, take the bull by the horns. We're going to go preach the gospel. We're not going to be, we're not going to, we're going to ignore these setbacks and just keep going forward. He was very much that way as you read through scripture. But he's thrown into prison for preaching against Herod. And in Matthew chapter 11, verses one through three, it says, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard, him in, uh, heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, to ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? John here is just straight up admitting, I'm not sure if the, the guy who I baptized and the guy who's my cousin, the guy who I have said is the Messiah just a few chapters earlier, I'm not sure if he's the guy anymore. Should we expect somebody else? John was having doubts, which by the way tells us that, hey, in this life, there's gonna, we're gonna have our moments too. We're gonna have our moments of feeling the same way John did. Are you the one or should we expect somebody else? See, we often can get in our own prison cell and it's difficult to see beyond it. It's difficult to see the, the light. It's difficult to see anything because that is not our reality. Our reality is prison. Our reality is struggles, it's persecution, and hardships. Jesus responds to John. The next few verses, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on, on account of me. Jesus tells John essentially, yes, I am the son of God. And it doesn't change regardless of what I've done for you or haven't done for you. I am the son of God because the lame walk, the, the leprosy are, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then he says, blessed are those who do not stumble on account of me. What does that mean? means regardless of whether or not we get our miracle, maybe that we've been praying for for years, that we thank God. Why? Because he's God. 
not because of the things that he does for us. I have to imagine that John was thinking, you're doing all these miracles, I'm hearing about them. I mean, blind people now see, deaf hear, diseases are, are, are taken away. How difficult would it be, God, Jesus, for you to break me out of this prison right now? I'm your cousin. You said I was the greatest person ever born of a, like, why not my miracle? Why not break me out of here? And he doesn't do it. In fact, John the Baptist is beheaded while in prison. And yet he says, I'm still God. I'm still sovereign. It doesn't matter what I've done for you or haven't done for you. That's hard for us. And we could, we could spend an entire series just talking about, about this concept. But it's hard for us because in the middle of going through a rough season, it's so difficult to see anything but that circumstance. And some of us today just need to simply be reminded that God is with you. That whatever you're walking through today, God is with you. Some of you need to be reminded today that the hardship you're walking through is an opportunity for the power of God to be on display in your life. Some of you today, God wants to build up your faith because it's waning. Some of you just need to be reminded that the blind do receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Let me just get really practical for a moment just as we wrap up. I, there's some things that I believe today, like if, if this message resonates with you, you're walking through a season right now that you just, you needed to hear this today. Let me give you just a, a, a few things. Before the end of the day, just even in your own time, uh, think of a time that God did come through. Just simply remember a time that God did come through. Is there a moment that you have? I, I, I can think of several in my life. Um, I can think of one in particular where um, one of our kids, when they were born, it was very, it was like a traumatic birth. And, you know, they had, the doctor had to break his shoulder to get him. Like, it was like one of those things saying he may not ever have use of his arm. It was all, and we just saw God's hand all throughout that entire process. And just to this day, it's one of those moments I can look back on and say, God, I remember a time that you really came through when we needed you. Think of a time that God did come through, that the Israelites all throughout the Old Testament do this. Remember the time where God did rescue us. Second, read God's promises. Are you in the word? Do you know his promises? Some of you today may have a, a lack of faith moment because you don't have the word of God in you. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. We need the word of God in our hearts. Are, are, are you in the word for yourself? Not in a way of like, I need to check a box to appease God. That's not what reading scripture is about. It's knowing, do I have the word of God in my heart? I need to be encouraged. I need faith because my faith is waning right now. I'm having a John the Baptist moment. And I need to be reminded today that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. I need that reminder today. Another thing, if you've never been on a mission trip, I think one of the greatest ways to get perspective uh, is to go on a mission trip. Every time I've been on a mission trip, and this, uh, we have s several that are going on, this isn't specifically like 
missions trip Sunday or anything, but you can, there's many that on the website that you can see. But every time I'm on a missions trip, there's a moment where I realize how blessed I am. Uh, several years ago in Tanzania, some of you were on that trip. We had soccer balls that we were going to give to these kids that didn't have a whole lot. And we gave them these soccer balls, and you would have thought that we gave each one of them a million dollars. I mean, it, it, th- that was that level of excitement. And it was just a reminder to me, wow, we are so incredibly blessed. It's one of those moments where you focus on things that have eternal significance and the temporary becomes insignificant. And the last thing, get around somebody, have somebody in your life, have somebody that you can call. When you just need a moment, when you just need somebody to talk you through, you need somebody that is going to encourage you. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron, so must one person sharpen another. That's what the body of Christ is all about. I have a few people in my life that I know when I'm just kind of in a, in a rough season, I can call. They're going to encourage me. They're going to pray for me. They're, they're going to shoot straight with me as well. If there's something, they'll call it out. But they're just people that I know. I'm confident that they're going to speak life and truth into me. That's why we do, that's one of the primary reasons why we do life groups. It's because you're going to need those people. You're going to need people that are around you, that are doing life with you, that can sometimes call you out on things that they see, but most of the time it's simply just being somebody as a sounding board, somebody to encourage, somebody to remind you of God's promises. So today, as we close, I just want to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 18 again. Paul writes, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God, we thank you today that in every circumstance, regardless of what we're facing, that we can give thanks to you. We can give thanks to you because you are a God where the blind receive sight, where the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. We thank you that we can place our full trust, our full confidence in you. You're a God worthy of our praise regardless of what we're facing this morning. God, we thank you that you go with us, that you are Emmanuel, God with us, that even in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil because you are with us. We thank you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.